It was a uh, hot August day a few years ago that I found myself in Orlando, Florida, which is a little bit of a redundancy, hot August day in Orlando. If you've never been to Orlando in August, I can't describe the heat to you. You'll just have to take my word for it that it's a little bit unbearable. Uh, You start, for me anyways, it's so hot, you start talking to yourself. Like, why am I here? If I'm going to be here, why am I standing in line at an amusement park in the hot Orlando August heat? It's so hot, things start to seem reasonable to you that on any other day would be unreasonable. Like the guy that's selling a little spray bottle full of water with a fan on it. (laughs) And suddenly $25 seems like a bargain. Just give me your spray bottle of water. I'll give you anything I have. It was on this hot Orlando afternoon that I found myself in line for the Pirates of the Caribbean with my family. And we had been in line for quite some time. And while we're in line and uh, I'm watching these other people cut the line. They weren't really cutting the line. They had a different line that they were in. Their line was called the fast pass line. And I was sitting in this long winding line through all these little gates like cattle waiting to get on this ride. And I could deal with that, but my kids had a hard time watching these people walk right by us and go on the ride. And they said, well, what's going on? I said, well, they have the fast pass. And they said, well, why can't we get a fast pass? And all I, I, the only thing I could say, I could say, look. Do you have any idea how much money we paid just to get into this park? I am not giving Walt Disney more money to be able to skip lines. And we are going to, we are not fast pass people. We are going to just wait in this line to get on the ride and that's it. That quieted them down for a few minutes. But while I had those few moments of silence, I did what anyone else would do in those few moments of silence. I texted Pastor Brian. Pastor Brian Frequent has been down to Disney World a number of times, and I thought, well, I'm going to text someone who can sympathize with my situation. And I texted and told them I'm sitting in line, Pirates of the Caribbean, August, and all these fast pass people are walking by, and my kids, I'm not buying a fast pass. And I expected Pastor Brian to text back with a sympathetic text, so I know how you feel. Yeah, I wouldn't buy it either, or at least an LOL that would make me feel a little bit better. What he texted back was the worst possible text I could have gotten. Because it's about three in the afternoon and our day at the Magic Kingdom, our magic's almost up. And he texts back this, the fast pass is included with your ticket. I did not want to show my children that text. But they could see the look on my face. And we eventually figured that out, but a little too late to save our day. (laughs) When is the last time you had to wait for something? 
When is the last time you had to wait for something? It seems like we spend a lot of our time waiting. We wait for the train, for the bus. We wait for the checkout at the store. We wait for people to text us back. We wait for food to be served. We wait for TV shows to start. Perhaps you're even sitting here waiting for this sermon to end. We wait (laughs) for many things. Anytime we're in a position to wait, we have a decision to make. We have to decide if we're doing what we're doing is going to be worth the wait. We look at what it is we're waiting for, the amount of time we have determined it's going to take, and we decide, is it worth the wait? In fact, when you go to places like Disney World or different amusement parks, at times you'll see uh, little signs that'll say 20 minutes from this point, 30 minutes from this point, 60 minutes from this point. And they put those there so in your mind you can make the decision. Look, is Pirates Caribbean worth the 60-minute wait? I'll tell you, we waited about 30 minutes and then found out the ride was broken and didn't get on the ride. But anyways, that's a different story for a different day. But is this ride going to be worth my wait? We'll even pay a bit more to get rid of our wait at some times. Sometimes people will pay more to skip a line, go through the airport uh, line quicker. You'll pay a little bit more for that checkout system that lets you skip some of the airport check-in. We wait for lots of things. But one thing that's true is our capacity for waiting is lessening. We are getting less and less patient. We are not willing to wait as much for things we used to wait for. The Boston Globe had an article a little while back on this aspect of our lives that the fact that we don't even want to wait for things to be delivered anymore. We want them same day. We want them now. We want it free shipping and we want it instantly. We want a drone to drop it off at our house when we want it and when we need it. We don't want to wait for things. We've become less patient. The internet has made us less patient. High-speed internet service has made you less patient, whether you know it or not. You used to be able to, some of you who are older, used to be able to plug your phone into your modem. You'd wait for that, and you would wait. And if you wanted to watch a cat video, you would know you'd have to invest like five minutes watching that thing spin around, loading the video, buffering. The latest studies say that after two seconds, if the video does not start, people are already ready to start jumping ship. After five seconds, 25% of people have left. If it takes 10 seconds, 50% of people have stopped trying to watch that video now. We are less patient. We don't wait as much for things we used to wait for. This morning, as we continue to go through the book of Romans, we're going to talk about one thing that is worth waiting for. But unfortunately, there's many people who have already at times abandoned waiting because they don't think that it's worth waiting for. They don't have the patience. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 30 is where we're going to jump in this morning. As I read this passage and as you turn there, I want you to listen for what Paul says about waiting. But then I want you to listen for something else because there's waiting and then there's a verb that Paul connects with waiting here. That's kind of more the action and maybe brings home more of the feeling we often have when we are waiting. So look for that word that Paul connects here with waiting and then we'll talk about it more in a few moments. Here's the passage, Romans chapter 8 verses 18 through 30. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Did you hear the word that Paul uses? The emotional, this, this word that he identifies with waiting, what do you think it was? Groaning. Paul talks about waiting as groaning. That while you're waiting, there's this thing going on, this feeling, this physical response that's groaning. I certainly in that line at the Pirates of the Caribbean felt a little bit like groaning. What Paul's talking about here, we've tried to put in a little bit of an equation to help understand what's going on here. And here's how the equation goes. Desired destination plus delay times difficulty equals groaning. When you have a desired destination, something you want to get to, something you hope to get to, something you see is out there and you know is a reality, but you add to that delay multiplied by difficulty, you get groaning. Here's what it looks like. Groaning is labor during the delivery of a baby. All the women said, amen. Delay of anticipated child with the difficulty of labor. Groaning is kids in the back seats wanting to know how much further it is to the amusement park, the water park, the beach, the ice cream stand. They say, are we there yet? The delay of the destination combined with the difficulty of sitting in a car next to their siblings equals groaning. It is as sure as the Pythagorean theorem that it will happen. Groaning is looking at the clock and realizing there's still another two hours before you get to go home from work and there's not enough work to do or there's too much work to do. 
the delay of getting home combined with the difficulty of the work. Groaning happens at airport counters when your flight is delayed or canceled. The delay of the destination combined with the difficulty of trying to find an unoccupied outlet or good Wi-Fi signal or just a short line at Cinnabon equals groaning. Groaning happens when you already know what is coming, but it's not here yet, and then there's difficulty that comes in as well. According to Paul in Romans 8, groaning is a physical response to a spiritual reality in the life of the Christian. Groaning is a physical response to a spiritual reality in the life of the Christian. Why does groaning exist in the life of the Christian? Simply because we have a delayed desired destination that has difficulty that is combined with it. We have a destination that we can see as sure. We have a destination that we know is coming. But it's not here yet. And in the midst of the waiting, it's kind of difficult in the place that we live. Let's look at the parts of this equation individually briefly for just a moment. First of all, desired destination. The desired destination. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Hold on, I've lost my spot here for a second. Got a new Bible and it doesn't have a, uh, one of those little cool markers in it. Um, Romans chapter 8 verse 18. He says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Glory. Here's the desired destination. Paul says, eventually that's where we're going. Glory is this desired destination. He says in verse 23 that we are waiting for the full adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We talked about this last week. I was in Belmont, but Pastor Brian was here, and he talked about this idea of redemption and adoption as sons, that it's important that it says sons there. Paul was not ignorant to the fact that both men and women will be listening to his reading of this letter, but he put adoption as sons because the son was the one in his culture who always received the inheritance. And so both men and women in God's family have the same standing of adoption as sons, as that firstborn son to receive the inheritance, all that God has to offer. There are no second-class citizens in God's family. Everybody gets all of the inheritance that God has to offer. So Paul said, we are adopted into his family. So then why in verse 23 this week, Can he say, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I thought we were already adopted as sons. I thought we were already heirs with Christ and heirs of God. Isn't that what it said last week? Well, just like any adoption, you can have an adoption on paper And it can be legally true and have all the rights and responsibilities of being adopted into that family. But until you are in the presence of the family, until you are physically in the presence of the father and the mother in that family, until you are physically in the presence of the father, until you have your full redeemed body, Paul's saying it's not done. 
You've not received your full adoption yet because there's more to come. Your desired destination is not just for your spiritual healing and to be right with God, but your desired destination is to be physically present with your father. And that's when the full adoption takes place. And so he says, yeah, you've got pain in your body. You've got present sufferings. You've got things going on in your life right now. But the adoption's not done. The spiritual healing that you have is only part of the healing. You will experience a full, resurrected, redemptive body like that of Christ. You will have a glorified body that will not have any pain, that will not have the limitations that your body has on this earth. That's the full redemption, the full adoption of your body. That is the glory that you wait for. So you sit here this morning with your aches and your pains and your arthritis, and your difficulties, and, your, and, and all of that. And you say, is this all there is? No. Paul said, don't, don't settle for this. There's more. There's more coming. So that's the glory that he's talking about. He's saying, you know, that's where we're going. It's, delay, it's a delayed destination. In 2 Corinthians chapter, four, uh, chapter 5, Paul says this, Now we know that if the earthly tent, our bodies, we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal home, a house in heaven not built by human hands. But meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we're in this tent... We groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. In other words, Paul's saying, you're going to get a glorified body. And there's something within you that longs for that. Every time you pray to be healed, it's because God has put a desire within you to have a body that does not break down, to have a body that does not experience pain. And what Paul is saying is that day is coming. Paul says in another place in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, John, given a revelation of God, a by God of heaven, says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is in the future. This hasn't happened. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now... The dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. For he who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. See, there's a new thing that God is doing and a new thing that's coming. We have a desired destination, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Our desired destination is all over Scripture, but it's not only all over Scripture, it's all over our hearts. It's given to us by God as His image. It's why when we look around at this world, there's something within us, Christian or non-Christian, believer or non-believer, churched or unchurched, there's something within you that says, this is not how it's supposed to be. 
This is not how the world is supposed to be. It should not be like this. And no matter what some teacher will tell you where you came from or where you're going, there's still something within you that says it should be better than this. There should be justice. There should be love. There should be unity. We shouldn't be killing each other. There's something better than this. Why? Why is that there? Because God has placed his image within you. Could it be that if you're not satisfied with this world, as C.S. Lewis said, it's because you were created for another world? Could it be that if there's something within you that is not satisfied the way, the way this world is, it's because God's created you for another one? There's a desired destination. There's this image of God within us that desires more. So you have the desired destination, but then you add to that the delay. You add to that the delay. These scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 12 that says how long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered. In the Psalms, the psalmist write, how long, Lord? How long will you wait? How long do I have to wait? How long? It's the delay. You and I have felt it. There's times in your life where there's pain you experience. There's injustice. There's hurt and you cry out to God and you say how long Lord in a sense what you're doing is you're looking up to God like a child in the back seat and say God are we there yet are we there yet are we there yet how long Lord because the delay is hard and some people look around and they say well the delay means God's not coming the delay means it's not true Peter spoke to this, and Peter said, no, 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 God doesn't delay because it's not true. God delays because he wants to give as many people as possible the chance to come in and embrace his offer of love and faith and salvation through Jesus Christ. His delay is his love. His patience is his love. And so there's this delay, though it can be difficult. We've not experienced the healing yet. We still have the hurt. There's still things in our world that aren't right. Creation seems to be falling apart. But the delay does not mean the promises aren't true. Some people will decide to abandon the life that God has called them to during the delay. And yet, the delay is part of God's process. But it's not just the delayed destination that causes groaning. It's also the difficulties. I don't think I need to spend too much time on this part. We can go around the room and you can tell me all about the difficulties you have. Paul puts it this way, these present sufferings. He says, these present sufferings can't compare to what's coming. Some of those come about just by nature of living in this world. You have sufferings just by the nature of living in this world. You, you get sick. Hurt comes into your life. Bills come. Accidents happen. Death, disease, hurt, pain. Some of it because becomes just because of that. Some of it, if you choose to follow Christ, is going to come just because you chose to follow Christ. Talked about that last week too. If you share in his sufferings, it says in the end of chapter 7. That means is... When you identify with Jesus and you're an heir of Christ, there's going to be sufferings that come into your life simply because you and I have chosen to follow Jesus. And so there's going to be difficulties sometimes just because of that. Sometimes you're going to have difficulties in your life just because you've chosen to follow Jesus. 
and they're going to be there. These present sufferings. Paul knew all about present sufferings. Whipped, beaten, stoned. Could have been a lot easier if he didn't follow Jesus. He wouldn't have had any of those. He was a prestigious religious leader outside of following Christ. But he followed Christ and he chose to follow Jesus and he had present sufferings. So while our desired destination can be comforting, and it can be, right? I mean, I've preached the sermon. If you, if you've been in the church, have heard the sermon before, knowing tomorrow will help you get through today. I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you have heard in some words and in some way that message. You know tomorrow heaven's coming so you can endure earth. Tomorrow's sure so you can endure what comes today. These present sufferings can't compare to the glory. That is a solid, biblical, and right message that we can hold on to. But what also goes along with that is that knowing tomorrow can cause groanings today. Because when you know what's coming, it can be difficult to go through what God has you going through right now. Because you know it doesn't have to be this way. And you know one day it's going to be better. But right now, we groan. Right now, it's hard. And so Paul is saying, look, the present sufferings can't compare to the future glory, but everyone's kind of groaning right now. He says creation groans, people who follow God groan. Then he even says the spirit groans when he prays for you. This groaning all over the place because we're not in the place where God has called us and created us to be. The question is, what do we do during the delay? What do you do during the delay? What do you do while you're waiting? What do you do while you're waiting? Because we need to keep busy while we're waiting. We don't like waiting. But we mind waiting less if we're busy while we're waiting. Don't believe me. There was an article in the New York Times by a man named Alex Stone who talked about uh, the Houston airport. And the baggage handlers there, they were getting complaints that people were waiting too long for their bags. So the Houston airport, what they did is they hired additional baggage handlers and they cut the waiting time for someone's bags to eight minutes, which was an industry leading standard. That from the time a person got off the plane to the time their bags were ready to pick up, eight minutes. They still got complaints. And here's what they found out. It takes an average of one minute for the person in the Houston airport to walk from the plane they just got off to their baggage area where they pick up their bags. So you do the math. They are standing there for seven minutes waiting for their bag. So what do you do in that case? Well, what they did, some of you have already figured it out, they moved the arrival gate further away from the baggage pickup. They increased people's walk to get to pick up their bags. So when they got to the baggage pickup, they just grabbed their bag and left. And you know what? The complaint stopped. It was still taking eight minutes to get their bags, but they were busy, so they didn't care. Richard Larson 
MIT, MIT operations researcher, world's, this is quite a title. He is the world's leading expert on waiting in lines. I don't know how one achieves that title, but Richard has it. I don't want that title. He's a world's leading expert on waiting in lines. He, he talked about the psychology behind our waiting. What happened at the Houston airport makes for a perfect illustration. According to Larson, the length of our wait is not as important as what we are doing while we wait. Often the psychology of queuing is more important than the statistics of the wait itself, says Larson. Essentially, we tolerate occupied time. For example, walking to baggage claim far better than unoccupied time, such as standing at a baggage carousel. Give us something to do while we wait, and wait becomes endurable. This is why so often in our lives, waiting on God feels like unoccupied time. Why wait? But what is really happening behind the scenes in our life is the question. Because we're not called just to wait. We're called to be busy while we're waiting. So what do we do while we're waiting? Three things as we close out this message. What to do while you're waiting. While you're waiting. Don't just sit there and groan. Don't just stand there and groan. Don't just stand there and ask God, are we there yet? Don't just stand there and ask God, God, please make it end. Here's three quick things to do while you're waiting. And the first thing is this, hope. Paul tells us in verse 24 and 25, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the first thing you do while you're waiting is you hope. You hope. The illustration or analogy of childbirth I think is helpful here that Paul used earlier in this passage. He uses... uh, present sufferings. He uses the analogy of childbirth and birth pains. And I think it's helpful, but it's also helpful to remember that pregnancy and childbirth in Paul's day was different than in our day. There were no 4D images. There were no ultrasounds. There were no even those grainy black and white pictures for you to post on Facebook and text to your family and and, and say, you know, look what's going on. You didn't get a picture every few months to show the size of the baby. You didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. You didn't know if it was sick or healthy. All you knew is that changes were happening to this woman's body, and hopefully it's because there's a baby inside. You didn't really know what was going on. But women for years and centuries put up with it. Why? Well, there may be multiple reasons, but at least one is hope. Hope. Hope because what I cannot see is happening and is going to produce a joy and a reality and the temporary pain that you're putting up with is going to result in a blessing and something that is hoped for. The changes that take place, the pain that takes place, present temporary sufferings can be put up with because of the hope that happens. And so we don't see it. You and I usually don't get the revelation that John had to see heaven. God doesn't usually allow us that glimpse, but it's a sure hope. 
just like the woman can see her changes in her body, we can see God active in our lives. We can see God moving around us. And that is a deposit of what he's ultimately going to bring. We can see and know about the cross of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection for it. And that is a sure evidence of the hope of what God has done for us and what he will bring. And so we hope. If we could just get one glimpse of heaven we would say all of this is nothing compared to what's coming. You wait in the long line because of the hope of 60 seconds of joy. Paul says this line, this heat, this waiting can't even compare to the joy. So hang on in hope to what God has for you. Second thing you can do, you can hope and you can pray. You can hope and you can pray, verse 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Don't miss this. Don't skip over this. This is one of those unique verses in Scripture that we can jump over very easily that I find a lot of hope in, that I pass on to people as a hopeful verse. Oftentimes when I'm with somebody or I've walked into a situation that is so devastating, that is so overwhelming, that I don't know what to say and they don't know what to say and I don't know what to pray even and they don't even know what to pray even, it's this verse that I'll find comfort in and I'll point them to for comfort. That there are times when we don't even know how to pray. And Paul says, God, the Holy Spirit, prays for us with groanings that are too deep even for us to understand. So when your desired destination is delayed and when there are difficulties that come in, so difficult that you are so overwhelmed, God, I can't even handle it. God, I'm not even sure what your will is in this moment. God, I'm not even sure how to pray in this moment. You can go to this verse and say, God, the Holy Spirit, I trust that you are praying for me in the midst of this situation. Sometimes I walk into a hospital room and there are so many tubes and machines and lines and I can speak, but they can't speak back to me and I don't know if they're really even hearing me and they can't talk audibly to God. And in that moment, I often remind them that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. That even when you can't audibly speak a word, that God's Holy Spirit is praying for you. And making intercession for you. In the midst of our delayed, desired destination, hope and pray in the midst of that time. But there's one third thing, and that is trust. And here's the verse that uh, if you're going to memorize a verse from this section and you haven't memorized it yet, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Trust. Trust that God is at work. Trust that God is at work in your life. It's an important context for this word, for this verse that we must not miss. And we know that for those who, say that next word with me. Let's try it again. And we know that for those who 
love God, all things work together for good. For everyone, for anyone, it's not what this promise is given. This promise is given that for all those who love God. I find it real interesting that Paul chose the word love. Not believe, not sign a paper, not attend church, not give in the offering, not all these things we might associate with religion or being a good Christian or whatever we might associate with it. He says, for those who love God. Not just believe, but for those who love God. Because if we don't love, let me tell you what's going to happen. If you don't love God, as soon as God doesn't come through in a way you think he should come through, you're out. If you don't love someone, as soon as that relationship doesn't go the way you want it to go, you're gone. It's not a contract that keeps two people together. It's not even a covenant that keeps two people together. It is the love behind that contract in that covenant that will keep two people together. For those who love God. It's important in this passage because Paul's saying, look, difficulties are going to come. Present sufferings are going to come. Paul's saying, I've been beaten. I've been stoned. I've been shipwrecked. I've been whipped. I've been, I've been hurt. All these things have happened to me, but, but they're all working together for good. For me who loves God and for you who loves God. For those who love God. So be careful when you take this verse and quote this to every person that comes across your way. Because, God, because Paul was very specific in his word. For those who love God, all things work together for good. So it's that love of God. But then there's this other part. All things work together for good. Like a fine woven tapestry, our lives looked, looked at from one side can be seem like a jumble of threads going in all kinds of crazy and discombobulated directions, but flip it over and from the perspective of God, there is a work of art. All things work together for good. I love what Pastor Tim Keller says about this verse. He said, some people read verse 28 as teaching that God gives more good things or different kinds of circumstances to Christians over non-Christians, but Paul is not saying that. Paul is not promising Christians an easier, more comfortable life. Let me say that again. Paul is not promising Christians an easier, more comfortable life. He is not saying that Christians will have a higher percentage of pleasant over unpleasant circumstances than unbelievers. Rather, Paul says that all things, the same basic range of good and bad things that happen to all people with the addition of the sufferings that come from following a suffering king are used by God in our hearts so we are taught, humbled, and refined into the likeness of Christ. If that's not what you signed up for, I'm sorry, but that's what Christ calls you to. If somebody along the line told you, come to Jesus because your life will be easy, I'm sorry to tell you that's not what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus says difficulties are going to come into your life, and because you choose to follow me, you'll be persecuted. But what God says is all these things... We'll work them together for good for those who love God. 
It doesn't mean you're going to have an easier life. It doesn't mean you're going to have a more pleasant life. Thank God for all the blessings that come into your life and my life. Receive them as a blessing in his mercy. But they are not guaranteed simply because you follow Jesus. We are not guaranteed an easy life. What Paul is saying is that the same events that come into your life and the life of someone who doesn't follow Christ can be used by God for good. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. And God can use those same events for his glory. Corey Tenboom, um, one of the heroes of World War II who hid many of the Jews to protect them from, um, from being killed by the Nazis. She wrote a poem called The Weaving. And it says this. She says, my life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I cannot choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oftentimes he weaveth sorrow and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly shall God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. God will weave things into your life and he'll use it for good, but they're not always going to be easy things. In fact, sometimes they'll be really difficult things, but God will use it for his ultimate good. Close with this story. There was a Missionary in 1964, an Assemblies of God missionary to the Belgian Congo. His name was J.W. Tucker. J.W. Tucker went into the Belgian Congo, which it was called that time, and uh, he was going to commit to sharing the gospel with the natives that were there. Unfortunately, they took his body as he was preaching, and they beat him with sticks and clubs and fists. And then they took his body and his corpse and they threw it to the crocodiles in the Bomakande River in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. And if you were there in that moment in November of 1964, you would say, what a waste. How can this happen? And how can Romans 8.28 be true? How can it be that this man who loved God so much that he would go to a dangerous place to share the gospel, how can it be that good, any good, would come out of this? How can it be that all things work together for good? The Bomakande River flows through the middle of a tribe called the Mangbito, a people virtually without the gospel, no representation, no understanding of Jesus Christ. There was an uprising that happened in that tribe at one point, and they called on the government to send in someone to help. And they did. They sent in a man to help, a brigadier general to help in the situation. This brigadier policeman went to help, but he was also, prior to that and prior to the death of J.W. Tucker, had the gospel shared with him. And when he went to help this tribe of people, he went as a, not only a policeman, but as a man of God. And he tried to bring peace, but he was having trouble bringing peace to the people that were present there. But he found out something that was in the Mangabito tradition. And they said this, in their tradition, they're saying that had been always in the tradition of their tribe from immemorial, it said this, if the blood of any man flows in the Bomakande River, you must Listen to his message. 
So the brigadier called the king and the village elders. They gathered in the full assembly and they said, there was a man. He said, his blood had flowed in your river. He was killed. And here he left me before he died a message that you need to listen to. The message concerns God's son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this world to save people who were sinners. He died for the sins of the world. He died for my sins. I received this message and it changed my life. And as he preached, the spirit of God descended. The people began to fall on their knees and cry out to the Lord. Many were converted. And since that day, thousands of Mangbetos have come to Christ and dozens of assemblies of God churches have opened. And the message from the man whose blood flowed in the river. And you look at it and you say, how could any good come? Good from the perspective of the back of the tapestry? No, it looks pretty ugly. Good from temporal awareness of what happens in this country and the pleasures that happen in this world? No, it looks pretty ugly. But good from the perspective of heaven? Good from J.W. Tucker, who's in God's presence. Experiencing his glorified body, full adoption with God, and having seen his message and his ministry go forth through this, yes, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's worth the wait. You may be standing, sitting here this morning saying, are we there yet? It's worth the wait. A young boy went to a local store with his mother. <clears throat> the shop owner, a kindly man, passed him a large jar of suckers, invited him to put his hand in and grab a handful of them, but the boy shook his head no. Uncharacteristically, the boy said no, so the shop owner pulled out a handful for him and gave them to the boy. When outside, the boy's mother asked why he had suddenly been so shy, why he wouldn't take a handful of the suckers offered. The boy replied, because his hand is bigger. (laughs) What God has is so much greater than what we could grab on our own. But we must wait. But we must wait. Some of us are tired of waiting and are about to take things into our own hands. It's not worth the wait, we say. Waiting seems harder. We miss out on the pleasures of this life. We lose friendships because we've considered to have extreme views. We lose respect in the classroom or the office. We might have to say no to a relationship. Paul reminds us that staying faithful to Christ is worth the wait because in the end we experience full restoration with him. Why hasn't God moved yet? I don't know, but I do know we shouldn't abandon the wait. Why we are ultimately, when we are ultimately in the presence of God and he has redeemed and restored creation, when there is no sickness or injustice or inequality and he has made all things new, there is no doubt in my mind we will say it was worth the wait. There's no doubt in my mind that in that moment there will be no question and you will say it was worth the weight, because as Paul said, these present sufferings cannot compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We come before you this morning.
God, we thank you for this encouraging word, this encouraging verse that many of us have probably heard time and time again and even quoted time and time again. We thank you, Lord, that all things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But Lord, still the waiting and still the delay and still the present sufferings can cause us to groan And, Lord, can be difficult and hard at times. Lord, I pray that you would keep every man, woman, and young person in this room and in this church faithful to you as we commit to you. Lord, I pray that we would not sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate. That, Lord, we would always keep in perspective the glory that is coming and be reminded that the present sufferings can't compare. God, that we would know that it's worth the wait, what you have in store for those who love you, that it's worth the wait. God, if there's any person in this room that's wondering, is it worth the wait? I ask this morning, in this moment before they leave this room, I just ask that you would reveal yourself to them in a way that they would know that it's worth the wait, that you would remind them that you love them, that you died for them, that you care for them, that you will not abandon them, that even when they can't pray for themselves, you are praying for them, that you have waited, you have delayed your coming so that they might come to you and know you and embrace your love for them. Lord, I ask that that truth and that reality would set in this morning to our hearts. In Jesus' name.